1: Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. And we want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P H A N S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. And we're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our shows as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com, make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com, promo code BGN. Michael Kist. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kist and Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. Fly Eagles fly and welcome into the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 41, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio and Fans of Philly. You guys know the spiel by now. I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and inside the pylon at Michael Kist NFL on Twitter, I am joined. By Mr. 8-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak, hey, aka oh. the best doggone co-host in the game of Bleeding Green Nation and NDT Scouting, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter and in our hearts. Ben, <laughs> a lot has happened since we last spoke. Uh Drake is hiding a child. Roseanne took Ambien laced with racism. NBA GMs everywhere are purging their burner accounts. You said that I was your dad. Uh How you doing, brother?
0: Dude, every day is a good day to be alive. It has been eight straight years. Uh, now with uh, without a bad day. So if my math's correct, that's like 2,950 or something. Uh, pretty sweet. <laughs> it's feeling pretty good obviously. it's uh, the You missed the biggest noteworthy news which is that the World Series began today. We're recording on Thursday. Of course, I'm referring to the WCWS Women's College World Series. I'm a huge <laughs> women's college softball fan and uh, Oklahoma took the L today. Oklahoma's my team. They took the L to Washington uh, which is a terrible shame but it's fine. It's double elimination brackets. I know you're worried, but it's double elimination brackets. Uh, and Washington's going to lose to Oregon anyway. So we'll just see him again later. But, uh, I literally, you don't understand. Like I, there's, as far as like events I get lit for, it goes in Eagle, like sporting events. It goes in Eagles game and then the women's college world series. Like that's above. March madness for me that's above.
1: Have you seen the Stanley Cup finals? Did you did you see game 1 or 2 of the so Stanley never, Cup?
0: So never I was never uh, never any hockey inside my house growing up nothing like that. Like getting into hockey is super big on the list for me. I've just never got around to it. Hockey it, hockey's tough because it's a it's a harder game to get into just when you start watching it and you're watching it without people without anyone who knows what's going on because yeah. the, it's a, it's a bit a bit more esoteric as far as the rules and the strategies go, you know? So I've I've like watched hockey games casually, but I really don't understand what's going on. Whereas, you know, you can pick up like a, a, a game like women's softball and basically understand what's happening, uh, even if you've never yeah. watched softball before, because you can translate a lot of the rules from baseball, and then everything else is not too tough to pick up. Getting into into hockey is a big impetus for me. I'm in Chicago now, so that's a hockey city. Oh. I really got to. Uh, I really that that's high on the bucket list. It's just tough to do. I got to find some big hockey fans and just like watch like a slew of regular season games with them to really get get myself in the in the zone. You know.
1: Yeah, the Stanley Cup playoffs have been. Amazing, Ben, I'll put it to you this way. Game 1, super lit with an expansion team their first year with Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, no, like
0: 6-4, like Las Vegas. Like, I'm following the, the <sighs> Golden Knights. and it's amazing. I think the stuff they do at the beginning of the games is hysterical. I know some people oh, don't like yeah. it. I think it's the funniest nonsense the ever. Best. I've got mad love for that. And then the cool thing is that, like, with the World Series on... ESPN now, like in the Super Regionals, like right before like the the World Series brackets, we had three game winning home runs in a single Saturday last Saturday. Three game winners, like walk off home runs in one day. It's incredibly just like it's it's it, it, you get very invested in it. It's a ton of fun. Uh, and so yeah, I spent a great way to spend my my eight year anniversary, dude.
1: That's kind of how I feel about hockey. There were four lead changes in game one, and then both games last twenty seconds shots with a wide open net. That could have caused OT that didn't go in, and you just like you just let a fart out that you've been holding in for like a whole two minutes because it just the, the dr- I love anything with drama, so I'll watch anything like that. Oh, absolutely! Before we uh, get off too far off the rails with the uh, with the hockey talk, which I, I can't wait to watch another game of that, and before we get to the eye on the enemy segment, which is going to be the Los Angeles Rams, uh, I got something to tell you, gentle listener, the BGN Radio Crew is going to be sampling delicious four-ounce beers from over 50 local and national breweries. And you can too. Today, June 1st, the First Tap Festival is the kickoff to Philly Beer Week. That sounds amazing. Live at the Fillmore from 6.30, 10.30 p.m. Head to phillylovesbeer.org to grab your tickets. And be sure to use the promo code BGN18. That's BGN18 for 10% off your general admission and VIP tickets. You get unlimited samples. Take advantage of it. The $46 general admission includes a souvenir glass. The VIP admission, you want to be a very important person, you got to lay down 66 bucks, which is a great deal and includes a specialty souvenir glass and an additional hour access beginning at 6.30 p.m. featuring rare pours from brewery members. There will be live DJ sets and a live performance from Philadelphia favorite, Chill moody and BGN radio will be live, live, live talking birds and drinking beer. Come be on the show with us at the Fillmore today, Friday, June 1st at 6 30 PM. And don't forget to use the promo code BGN 18 for 10% off admission. I wish I could be there, Ben. That sounds absolutely amazing. So, Ben, eye on the enemy. Here we go. Los Angeles Rams.
0: This is, an a bit, this is an important one to talk about.
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. And Ben, what we usually do is we usually start talking about the quarterbacks. And look, if you haven't heard us talk about this Eye on the Enemy segment before, go back through like the last, well, I think like five or six episodes that we've done of it now. We covered the NFC East, we covered the Minnesota Vikings, the New Orleans Saints. Today is the Rams. And like I said, we usually talk about quarterbacks right out the gate. But today I kind of want to switch it up and I want to talk about. The head coach, Sean McVay, Mm. who did a masterful job with this team last year. And I'll qualify. I do not care about the Coach of the Year award debates. It is notable that McVay won it and Doug Peterson being in the league shouldn't take away from that accomplishment because at the end of the day, and I say this all the time about the MVP debate, it doesn't matter how the public ranks it. What ultimately matters is is how
0: we rank it. What? What?
1: That's correct. Yeah, (laughs) because we're always right. (laughs) Uh, But no, what what matters is what that person brings to the table. And Peterson won a Super Bowl. McVay is still an excellent coach. And Ben, as much as I can, I try to seek out sound bites of McVay talking ball whether it be at a clinic or just sound bites from sound effects, because he is one of the brightest young minds in the league right now. And you always learn something new when you listen to him. And this offense is going to be productive under him for a very long time. That's just a fact of life. I'm excited to see Rams-Eagles, McVeigh peterson maybe not on game day necessarily because they are going to be dogfights from here on out, but when the coach's film drops, it's appointment viewing. And I know you saw a clip from him at practice that you loved, including Brandon Cooks, who they just yeah, yeah. added, and the speed element that he brings to that offense, right?
0: Right. Well, the, that clip, like, it's just funny, but it also is very important. And if you didn't see it somewhere, I'll retweet it. There was a, a two-and-a-half-minute video, the the Rams Twitter account released like you know they do these hype videos for otas the eagles have done them and this one was just it had mcveigh mic'd up because mcveigh is such a talker uh and he says some really fun exciting things here he's talking about just trying to piss off wade phillips during otas like that was his primary goal is just like make life very (laughs) tough for his very old you know different uh mentality different uh ideology sort of a guy wade phillips is defensive coordinator but Jared Goff hits a hits a streak to Brandon Cooks, who's you know they're playing you know in in shorts. It's not really anything, and Cooks is flying. so That's what Brandon Cooks does, and and uh, I believe that Sean McVay tells Jared Goff that that's a bad mother ever. Which is a really accurate uh, depiction of Brandon Cooks when he's running a nine. Yeah. The the what the Rams is they cut up McVeigh at different points in the practice. He would go up to a coach. But Do you see how fast Cooks looked on that nine, and the, co- the coach, the like, yeah, it was really fast. And then the video cuts, and it's him talking to a different coach. Do you see how fast Cooks on that street man. And then it goes to a final <laughs> one, and he's whispering it like a, like a schoolgirl in a locker room after the football team walks by. Do you see how fast Cooks looked? <laughs> you know, like it's just and yeah. and this is like that's funny, but this is why it's important. That's very very organic. And that's very, very human. And, and and it strikes me as very authentic. It does not strike me as a stick. And in yeah. an offseason where there's been some conversation, oh, it's not fun to play for Bill Belichick. You know, doesn't matter if it's fun. It's all about winning. Who complains when you have five Super Bowl rings, which is a different conversation. You can understand why some players are turned off by playing for Bill Belichick. And by that token, you can understand why some players are just very attracted to playing with McVeigh, not even for the offensive system, but because that right there is like a 14-year-old kid watching, you know, Deshaun Jackson play in Philadelphia for the first time. Like, I'm pretty sure when I first saw Deshaun Jackson hit a 93-yard touchdown against the Redskins when Mike Vick chucked it to him, I asked everybody in, like, you know, high school the next day, or no, I was in junior high at this time, Man, did you see how fast the John Jackson? Like it's very, very real. It's just a guy reacting to an awesome physical feat, an awesome play in the football field, and that's got to be so much fun to be in the locker room with when you see, you know, clips of other coaches. Like there's a clip of Brian Schottenheimer going on uh, when he was the offensive coordinator of the Jets of him just spewing profanity but also old
1: school thinking running
0: game cliches and and platitudes everything hackneyed everything just in one ear and out the other because it's what he heard older coaches say when he played and it's just a a revitalization of of these abstract ideas they don't mean anything whereas McVay is just like legitimately reacting to what's on the field very organically and that's got to be a super attractive super fun environment and you can't tell me having an attractive fun practice environment is bad for a team I'm not saying that other ways aren't good for teams different ways, but that's gotta, that's gotta be good for a team. That's gotta be good for camaraderie, the locker room, especially, and this is what we're gonna talk about, I'm sure, the Rams are very volatile because they have personalities out the wazoo in that locker room. And the coach like McVeigh seems uniquely, and, and I would say, is the coach in the NFL equipped to handle a situation like that and has a lot to do with his personality.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Eagles have a lot of personalities, too, and some of the key to our success, you know, when people talked about bringing Jai in, how the running back room was going to be with LeGarrette Blunt and, and things of that nature, and Deuce Staley handled it very well. Doug Peterson is very equipped to handle that. Sean McVay. Is very equipped to handle that, so you don't you don't necessarily think like a lot of people are thinking. Well, that you know that locker room might blow up. I think McVeigh is going to be able to handle it very well. I think an older school type of coach that talks at players, that stuff tends to blow up more than it will uh-huh. with this newer generation for sure. Uh, but yeah,
0: I forget who it is who makes the point. I think it's I think it's a Charles McDonald or Justice Mosquito, one of these very young analysts who um, do excellent work and everything. But I think it's Justice who says. The best coaches currently are the coaches who know how to handle millennials, right? All, we yep. always talk about millennials and they're changing everything and yet, yet, yet. millennials are like the freaking Grim reapers, like this abstract idea of death. But the coaches who understand how to handle like opinionated, slightly idiotic, way too impressed with themselves 28-year-olds are the coaches who are going to be successful because that's who the meat and potatoes of NFL rosters are now. There you go. You know, it's as simple yeah. as that. And and what you have with McVeigh is a millennial. He's, we got to remember that. He fits in the time frame. He's 30, yeah. young 30s, right? So there you go.
1: Yeah. McVeigh's my age. And we've talked about that uh, on previous episodes, uh, how some coaches might not be equipped to handle it. But McVeigh definitely, I mean, he's my age. So. He can definitely, uh, I think I can still relate with kids these days.
0: Oh, Mike, we we interact great, man. Come on.
1: But moving on to the quarterback position, the all-important quarterback position, uh, Jared Goff in his second year. Overall, man, I, I thought he played really, really well on third down. He threw the ball, the deep ball excellently. I think he struggled some in the intermediate areas of the field. He ranked poorly under pressure again, which shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, we all saw Rams, Eagles from week 14 last year where Goff consistently Dropped his eyes as the game wore on and the pressure cranked up. So that's one area, if you were to pick one, that you wonder if that's ever going to get fixed. But he's in a great scheme that gives him clear reads, open windows, and ultimately, I think he's a solid quarterback. One that you can win with. And you look at him in the red zone, we know how good the Eagles were in that area of the field last year. Carson once had 23 touchdowns, zero interceptions in the red zone. Jared Goff had the same thing, 23 touchdowns, zero interception in the red zone. So he's got some flaws, but on money downs, on deep balls, and in the red zone, there is very promising stuff there to work with and being guided by McVay. I mean, I would expect him to at the very least be just as good as he was last year. And ultimately, Ben, I think he takes a step forward as the season hits full swing this year.
0: I think his step forward from year one to year two is one of the biggest in recent memory. Uh, and, and Goff oh, yeah. is very interesting, uh, very interesting to me, because he's, he can be a bit of a red herring and a bit of a false positive in the sense that we can look at Goff statistically and say, wow, what a step forward from year one to year two. But, and I think many, many, many analysts would immediately come at that with slow your roll because what McVeigh was able to do for him on the chalkboard and, and pre snap, let's not forget, you know, the, the Rams were a team that, would go no huddle so that McVay could basically audible for golf in his headset before <laughs> yeah. it clicked off. The headset clicks off with 15 seconds on the play clock. So get lined up with 22 and you're given Sean McVay, who's a top three, top five offensive mind in the league right now, seven seconds to look at the defense and change things, right? And the Rams were yeah. very, and McVay's always been heavy pre-snap motion, identify manner zone, you know, uh, use orbit motion, use jet motion, what have you to just get leverage advantage and let athletes win in space uh and and that's another good point is that the rams i believe it's it's number one in the nfl i can't find i couldn't find the stat uh i believe led the nfl and passes behind the line of scrimmage which is just yep. it's super duper spready it's super duper collegey you know that those are incredibly high percentage throws and part of Goff's success in the red zone a huge part of that is how frequently they threw behind the line of scrimmage in the red zone right and just giving mm-hmm. him layups putting the ball in space letting athletes pick up yards it's very simple no reason not to do it it's not a knock whatsoever it's just an easy way around it
1: I would say there were a lot less faith throws as the Eagles call them with Wentz in the red zone as per golf. so the numbers might be the same Uh, he was still very efficient just not in the same manner that Wentz was but yeah I see I see your point for sure
0: false positive in that the stats would indicate development in a way I don't think the stats should then on the tape yeah he really developed but you you don't want to you don't want to just look at the stats i I really think you have to look at the tape and understand that when Goff was coming out of Cal, there were very legitimate questions about his pocket feel and his presence, his understanding of of where space was in the pocket, and then maintaining clean ready to throw footwork while moving through the pocket. It was my number one right. question with him coming out of Cal year one it was not good year one in the n f l it was what you expected for a rookie who struggled with that in college. I thought year two it was. Fantastic for his standards, you know, good for NFL standards, fine. But for what we had seen from him in the past, it was exactly the sort of step forward you wanted to see, which you could say something very similar for Carson Wentz and some of his lower body mechanics throwing the football, right? Similar Mm -hmm. year one, same issues as in college. Year two, massive strides forward. I thought you saw that from Jared Goff in a very, very big way. What's going to be a tough hurdle for Goff just in a conversation about how good of a quarterback he is in the league is that issue of divorcing what he does from what McVeigh manufactures, right? That's always going to be tricky. Because right now, almost everybody would say that Wentz is a better quarterback than Goff. And I think that's the correct take. But I think that we can too easily say, oh, Goff played really well, but you know, so much of it was McVeigh and whatever. He's very, very talented. And like you said, I expect to step forward as well as you get more poised, as you get more comfortable with pressure, which is really the big knock that's still there on him. I, I, you know, you don't obviously you obviously don't want to see Goff outside of McVeigh's system. You don't want there to be a divorce because it's so successful. But it might be tricky for Goff to ever get recognition that he deserves as far as the quarterback conversation in the league because he'll always be a little bit tied to McVeigh. To me, you know, he had a top twelve season last season. I'm not sure he's a top mm-hmm. twelve quarterback because I I want to see some consistency year to year. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. But he had a top twelve quarterback season last year. And and that's a film talent you know that's that's what he's doing just just on, on, on the base of hit the improvements that he's made that's not even you know talking about mcveigh's system or whatever that's just golf's tape alone
1: yeah I, I definitely the biggest jump from year one to year two that i've seen from a quarterback that that i can really remember and I, I would agree he had a top 12 season not sure if he's a top 12 quarterback i think it's fair to put him in the, the 12 to 18 range simmer right now but like you said we need to see that consistency so that's Jared Goff there. And then you talk about his weapons. Robert Woods is a darn good wide receiver. They bring in Brandon Cooks, which we talked about, brings that speed element, which is going to be great for them because McVay is awesome at dialing up uh deep passes. And you also have Cooper Cup, who had a fantastic rookie season, very good at his role, very good in the slot. A uh, nuanced route runner came in the league a little bit older, probably a little bit more polished than than you see some from some of these wide receivers that have a hard time producing right away. People forget that because of the Odell class with Mike Evans and all that, but typically you don't see receive, see receivers come out and produce like that. And then you've got Todd Todd Gurley. I mean, I remember doing Gurley's evaluation last summer and having to search for more context from his rookie year because it was hard to decipher what was on Gurley. And what was on the offensive line and and just the offense schematically uh, with Jeff Fisher there as the head coach. And ultimately, uh, I bet on Gurley to rebound. And the things he didn't do well in 2016, like creating his own yards, breaking open field tackles, being decisive. All of that seemed like distant past when you watched him operate in 2017. He checked all the boxes on the way to leading the NFL. In yards from scrimmage, he also ranked second in yards per route run as a receiver, and he wasn't good in that in 2016. That was only behind Alvin Kamara with 2.14 yards per route run, Mm. which is a dramatic improvement as well over 2016, where he came in under a single yard per route run, which is ranked in the basement. And you look how they're going to maintain that offense long term, right? The running game. Being able to protect Goff who struggles a little bit under pressure. For instance, you look at the the Joe Noteboom pick, the tackle at a TCU, their first pick of the draft in the third round, and you scratch your, your head a little bit because you realize they have, you know, that they need edge, they need linebacker. Uh, they also have three offensive linemen on contract years in Rob Havenstein, Jamon Brown, Roger Saffold, Andrew Whitworth is old, John Sullivan is old. So unlike other teams, looking at you, Seattle Seahawks, they're preparing for the long-term and adding pieces to their offensive line a year early rather than a year late. And this line played well last year. They were middle of the pack and pass pro, but they paved the way for the seventh best yards per carry which allowed them to really lean on the run game and not depend on golf this is a spread it out offense more than any other offense in the league and when I say that I'm not just talking I'm I'm, I'm talking hard data here they ran 11 personnel so three wide receiver sets 81% of the time last year that's 10% higher than the next highest team so Ben as far as like offensive philosophies go in the NFL like, that's where the league is heading to me. The Eagles did it, too. The Eagles ran it 65% of the time, and it still, it still wasn't close. I mean, that's a lot. Right. But you look at teams like uh, the, Ten- the Tennessee Titans, and I'm watching Derek Henry tape right now for his evaluation, and I'm hoping that X-Rams OC and new Titans OC Matt LaFleur – gets them as far away from the exotic smash mouth as possible because I'm so tired of teams that load their own boxes via alignment at ungodly percentages and then use their running backs like crash test dummies and just plow them into a stacked box time and time again and look two and three tight end sets have their place but primarily and at a much higher degree I'm in the camp of forcing a defense into nickel like the Rams do forcing them to defend trips defend bunch like the rams do like the eagles do defend a larger area of the field via alignment and then running it when you have a box numbers advantage is as easy as counting the numbers and the rams understand this the eagles understand this why do more teams not get this ben
0: because those are numbers and numbers don't win games Mike. players win games (laughs) all right
1: thanks dave (laughs) Gettleman.
0: in the words of brian schottenheimer we're going to run the ball until we pick up a first down. Because that's how oh, you yeah. win games, Mike. It's not by scoring points. It's by <laughs> imposing your will. And then the scoreboard counts will points. And then whoever imposed <laughs> their will better wins. It's just it's 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 because the will point. I don't want to be correct. I want what I think is correct to be correct. I don't want to right. change and be right. I want to be proven right just just by results. It's pride. It's ego. Yeah. It's what it always is. And I agree. It's absolutely maddening. Now, uh, any discussion of the Rams offense in its totality has to recognize, I think, number one, that the Rams have, in my opinion, love the Eagles, think they're a great team, big fan, the most fun skill positions offensively in the league. I think it's just a blast. Mm-hmm. I think you're talking about players who are so uh, unique and differentiated. You're talking about Brandon Cooks, who's one of the ultimate deep threats in the NFL. You're talking about Robert Woods, who's one of the best possession receivers in the NFL. You're talking about Cooper Cup, who I had coming out. I know you didn't like him as much. I coming out as one of the next best, uh, you know, what have you, you know, Cole Beasley, Julian Edelman, just a small white slot stereotype.
1: Oh, I, I, love, I liked Cooper. Did you like, I like Cup? Cooper?
0: Okay. Yeah, I liked Cooper. There Cup. was somebody I disagreed with on Cup. We were talking about it a lot last season. Maybe it wasn't you. Anyway. Big fan of Cup coming out. And then Josh Reynolds at Texas AM, a uh, fourth wide receiver Ooh. who's a great high point, great jump ball guy who got a, some limited playing time because of injuries last year, showed up very well. That's very exciting. Tight ends, dude, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby in the same room. Yeah. I, and then Hemingway, I think is super fun. We're talking about some of the most, the best move tight ends, uh, you know, Captain the, Gerald Everett's a wide receiver. He's, he, he was, right. I had him ranked very highly last season. Uh, he's an Evan Ingram-like player. To me, he was Evan Ingram in the Power Five, playing for South Alabama. I love his tape. I think he's gonna take a big four in step two or in year two. And then you got Todd Gurley and John Kelly, running backs, and then Malcolm Brown, who's like not bad as the as like the backup or the third string, depending on what Kelly does. There's so much unique talent, and I, it's just McVeigh with toys, and it's very exciting. But and this is what I brought up. Who are we talking about? Where uh, uh oh, the, the Vikings. The issue is the interior offensive line. When you go into this Rams team, you find some decent names on the offensive line. Obviously, Andrew Whitworth killed it as the left tackle. He's one of the best left tackles in the league, but he's turning 37. And then Rob Havenstein played well at at, 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 uh, at guard as well. He's a solid guard. And their right tackle, Jamon Brown, is solid as well, whatever. They have one offensive lineman, Mike, signed beyond 2019. One Third string guard, Jeremiah Colon. Ever heard of him? No, me right. neither. Nope. <laughs> uh, starting guard, Roger Saffold. I believe he's the left guard. Starting right guard, Rob Havenstein. And then right tackle, Jamon Brown. All three of them. Excuse me, excuse me. Jamon Brown is the guard. Havenstein is the tackle. That's my bad. All three free agents after this season. All right. And then Whitworth starting left tackle. And then, and then the, uh, the, the center, John Sullivan, Sullivan 2019. And we're talking about Whitworth in his 37th season, Mike, is going to be paid $12.5 million. This is, this is a lot of money. You gotta. Yeah. If he's playing at his level, fine. But if he starts, you know, if A starts to catch up with him, we got a conversation here. They, the Rams, have the second most cap space in the NFL coming in, uh, in this upcoming 2019 season. Mike, 81 million. That's the projection. But we're talking about a team that has Nickel Roby Coleman, Damacon Sue, uh, 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 what's his name? Aaron, Do- Aaron Donald. What's his All name? Of,
1: Aaron Donald. I
0: couldn't remember. I was looking at different people's names, Mike. All uh, going to be guys who are going to be running out of mon- contract money this year. Lamarcus Joyner is on the franchise tag. Brandon Cooks is a guy who's got one year left. Right? We're talking about some huge. Dominic Easley. We're talking about a huge amount of money. Uh, you know, uh, Talib is going to be two upwards of ten million. Man. Yeah. And we're talking a, a, a plus thirty corner who's just traded for a fifth round pick. Marcus Peters. Fifth round, uh, fifth round, fifth year option It's going to be picked up. Yeah. Mike, that's going to be around $9 million. Todd Gurley, fifth round option, fifth year. This, there's so much money on the table for the Rams. And you're talking about three-fifths of the offensive line is going to be hitting free agency. <laughs> it is weird to talk about a team that just spent everything in free agency as to having a small window, but they kind of do. Because yeah. they are going to lose talent in the 2018-2019 offseason. That's going to happen. Is 81, 81 million is second most, but a half of their team is 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 it needs money. Half their team's hitting the road, so this is they're in a very odd situation. And like you said, Joe Noteboom was the selection in the third round, very clearly trying to plan forward for that offensive line. They know they're right. going to lose talent there, and and if mm-hmm. we if we know anything about you know a lot of these offenses that run on on a lot of precision, a lot of timing, these spread style offenses. Sure, the ball can come out quick, but to disrupt them, you get pressure. Uh, And it's the offensive line. It's the offensive line with the Vikings. And to me, it's the offensive line with the Rams as well.
1: That could be their one issue. And then we we talked about, you know, talk about the defense as you were. I think there's absolutely zero question that the combination of Aaron Donald and or what's his name? Aaron Donald and Duncan Sue. Listen, listen, (laughs) listen.
0: I forgot a name for the two seconds.
1: (laughs) Those two together the best one-two punch in the league in regard to defensive tackle, and I would have said that before the Jernigan surgery, but the pride aside, Eagles fans, take the glasses off. That's just fact. We'll be okay, but when we're looking at these teams throughout the Eye on the Enemy series, we're not only looking for where they win, we're also looking at their long-term picture, their short-term picture, but we're also looking for a fatal flaw potentially, one that could prevent them from reaching the mountaintop, right? So, For the Rams on defense, it's obvious. You ship out Robert Quinn to the Dolphins and what you have left along the edges to rush the passer with, Um, I I don't really know. I mean, this team checks so many boxes, offensive line, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, defensive tackle, secondary, all that stuff. But The most important positions on the defense, the pass rushers, the Rams don't have one, and they only took – two day three swings on edge guys. Two guys I personally couldn't tell you a doggone thing about. And they're bringing back, uh they got Matt Longacre with a handful of sacks. Looks like he has to be the guy for them or it's going to be all interior pressure, which as disruptive as that is. Mm. And for as much as that helps the edge guys with cleanup sacks, by flushing the quarterback out of the pocket, by making get rid of it early where it might land into a ball hawking Marcus Peters. Either way, I just wonder if it's going to ultimately be their undoing and keeping this defense from being elite and ben i'll ask you this we know the talent in the secondary is amazing and let's say aaron donald and sue combine for 15 to 18 sacks i, th- I think that's reasonable plus keeping in mind the pressures that they're going to generate and that this is a team that was fourth in the league for sack percentage last year so i can get to the quarterback even with the loss of robert and quinn do you think they have enough pass rush on the edges to stay a top 10 DVOA defense this year? Do they have enough to stay a top five DVOA pass defense this year? And Ben, final question, a necessary gun to your head. If it ends up being the Vikings and the Rams in the playoffs, who you got? Shout out of the cannon.
0: Oh, I like that question a lot, actually. That's really cool. Um, I will tell you that they're going to have a ferocious second string on the interior Because they drafted a young man out of Rutgers named Sebastian Joseph Day. And let me tell you why Sebastian Joseph Day is going to be a fantastic player, Mike. Because when I was a freshman at Strasburg High School, he played defensive end for the Mountaineers. And I loved him. And I thought he was amazing. And he was friends with my sister, who was a junior. (laughs) And one day, he said hi to me in the hallway. And (laughs) I fell over. And I knew he went to Rutgers. And I knew he played defensive tackle for them. And at the beginning of this draft cycle, I said, listen, you got to watch him and you got to pump him up if he's good, because he's from Strasburg. And then I forgot he existed for nine months, played for Rutgers, and they sucked. And then I'm doing some work. I'm on the live stream or something. And all of a sudden, I hear Sebastian Joseph Day selected by the Rams, Stevens tackle out of Rutgers. I said, no freaking way. And it was him. Anyway. That's not the reason.
1: I got I got mad love for Stroudsburg, man. You know that that my uh, my grandfather coached forty years at East Stroudsburg, so I'm 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 for it. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Right now, here is 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 an important thing to understand. I think we've never seen a Wade Phillips defense, at least in my memory, that didn't have an elite edge. I can't remember right the last time. You know, it, it, he was it, with it,
1: Von Miller and Demarcus Ware for right. so many it, years. It, it, it 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 felt Dallas, like
0: exactly, and, and 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 in Denver, Dallas, and then here yeah. exactly. And then, obviously, he's been in, in St. Louis, Los Angeles, and they've been successful, a uh, good defense, like you said, top 10 DVOA. And you could have called their elite rusher Robert Quinn, right? Mm-hmm. But but Quinn, in one season with uh, the Wade Phillips system, 8.5 8. sacks, that's what mm. they lost when they lost Quinn. And they were shopping him actively. To me, if Wade Phillips thinks that's his elite rusher, he doesn't shop him. You know, they're not going to no. do that. Uh, Wade's got autonomy over that defense you know McVeigh doesn't touch it and it's only 8.5 that's good but it's not elite and so I wonder what I, I wonder if there's a bit of a philosophical shift for Wade Phillips I'm very curious to see if there is because they are so heavy on the interior and they are so light on the outside and I wonder yeah. if he's changing things up a little bit with how he views pressure and Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network is a data analyst just dropped something. I have not yet read it because it dropped about two seconds before we started recording uh, about data with the faster the ball comes out and you know, less time in the pocket, the more valuable interior pressure is and how that might affect the way the Rams are building their defense, which mm. is an interesting thing to think about. It's just a shorter path. Think about it. It's, it's a shorter yeah. path from defensive tackle from three tech to nine tech to get to the quarterback. Right. Makes sense. Um, So there's a conversation to be had there, but we are certainly at a point where it's very clear the Rams are willing to play without an elite edge rusher at either defensive end or outside backer, uh, and that's going to be very interesting to watch. I mean, they've got lockdown corners, right? right. Well, I mean, we're talking. Not only are we talking about Nickel Roby Coleman to keep leaving Marcus Peters being one of the best corner trios in the NFL, in my opinion, for sure. Lamarcus Joyner and John Johnson are two <laughs> of the better coverage safeties just in man yeah. in general. So we're talking yeah. about an incredible man coverage backfield, which is going to be awesome for Wade, and they, you know clearly that's where the 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 chips are. That's you know that that's the basket in which the eggs are. So we've got Samson Ebukam, who was a, a, a selection last year, I believe he was a fourth round pick, yeah, uh, out of Eastern Washington, who flashed. You know, obviously a small school there. Uh, and he's a guy who was, was, was a, a a project for them to go get in the fourth round. They've got A1 Price, who was very productive in Pittsburgh, seventh round pick last year, a very, very small frame. So he's rushing exclusively, you know, uh, stand up nine tech. He's, he's going to be a situational rusher, but he's been a very good rusher. And so he's not a, a guy who can be on the field all the time, but he's a pressure guy. So you're good. And then Obanil Okoronkwo, fifth round pick this year out of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. is a guy who was who was productive rushing big twelve tackles it's a different beast in the nfl uh but I thought he should have gone third round and fifth round was a really nice value spot for him. They have yep. young small speed guys to put at at that stand up seven tech that that wade uses when on the three four when he rotates that backer down and stand up seven stand up nine tech they have guys to do it they just did not invest heavy capital in it, so either they're right. very comfortable with this rotation of smaller speed guys. And Okoronkwo and Ebukam have both shown the ability to work a second inside to work a counter. A1 Price, not so much. He's a a dip and rip. He's pretty basic, Uh, but he's good at what he does. So it would seem they're comfortable with that. And that's what they're going to roll with. And and I think that we're going to see Wade, if not because he was forced to by his personnel— then because he simply built the the defense this way, I think we're going to see a different deployment in his front seven than we typically see. And it's important yeah. to note that the Rams are, are quite nicely foregoing linebacker. You know, we're talking about they've got Mark Barron, who's a safety. Uh, they've got Bryce Hager as their other inside backer. And I'll be honest with you, I do not know much know much about Bryce Hager, which probably means Matter he's not that great. I... Right. It's not, not that much of a thing. <laughs> And then, you know, they've got Longacre and Epocom as they're starting outside rushers. They're not, you know, they've got a very strong secondary, very strong interior. And then if they're able to get decent pressure on, on the outside with their their speed backers, and then they're just going to let Mark Barron fly around in the middle of the field eight yards deep. It's a, that's a formula that can win. That can win. It's, it's different than what I think we t- we've typically seen from Wade. And it's going to be very, very interesting. So to your questions, I have no idea. I have no idea. I think that that pass defense is still going to be good. I think I think it's going to be very difficult to have that secondary and have a bad pass defense like that. Just that seems like I don't even think Jason Garrett could pull that off. Like it would just have to be a good pass defense because of the talent. Vikings, Rams. I'm taking Vikings. Uh, I think that the Vikings have uh, a a more experience, better pedigree. We're talking about a playoff game, right? More experience, uh, a better pedigree. Obviously, the Rams' uh, first playoff game exit. Very young team. Uh, You know, something that you know was was a little bit. A conversation when they're sure. going up against the Falcons, who are very experienced. Uh, I think that the the Vikings' defense overall is stronger. They can generate a ton of pressure, which we know really frazzles Goff. Uh, but it does, you know. I don't know. I, right now, you know, between Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff, I think Goff's clearly a better quarterback, and, and so you've mm. got a big checkmark there. John D. Flip over Sean McVay. That's a fun matchup on the offensive love side. It. I would love like a Vikings Rams game. High stakes would be a ton of fun to watch. I think it'd be a really interesting clash of, of teams that have strengths. It would be a good time. I would take the Vikings. Uh, I think that we're going to see this Rams team become an uh, offseason darling, and they already have really with the way they spent in free agency. But this is a this is a you know I'll buy it when I see it. You know when you when you're yeah. bringing in this much new blood, there's no you know it's what you have to do. Like I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I, I was taught by the 2011 Eagles uh, to buy it when I see it when it <laughs> comes to free agents.
1: Look, I love Mike Zimmer as a coach. Sorry, Vikings fans. I just think they're a snake-bitten franchise. And until I see that change in the playoffs, I'm going to go with the Rams. I'm going to say that the Rams uh, would overtake them in the playoffs. So that that's if that happens, we're going to point back to this podcast. And I want you, as a listener, to go back and find these audio clips and let us Nothing know who was right. better
0: than wagers in May about games in January.
1: That's correct. Because yes. we will remember them. We remember uh, everything that no, we that we like, save when it's it comes down to it. We're
0: coming. going anywhere, man. We're just gonna be sitting here ripping it for the next eight months anyway.
1: So that has been our chat. Eye on the enemy, the Los Angeles Rams, definitely a big time contender. I th- I think the. Man, I, I, w- I would put them above the Falcons. I would put them above the above the Saints, and I think at the end of the year they're going to be above the Vikings. I don't think they're there yet. You need to see those things develop I mean, that that we talked about. I've
0: got the Falcons above both. We're going to talk about that next episode anyway.
1: Ooh. Well, Ben, let the gentle listeners know what we have on tap for them next.
0: Howdy, gentle listeners! Uh, thank you so much as always for tuning into the Kist and Solak show. We do greatly appreciate it. Of course, uh, you know. A little bit late here into the week, but no worries. We'll be coming right back at you with Falcons Eye on the Enemy. And, of course, there are off-season workouts this entire, uh, you know, today and and tomorrow, May 31st and, and June 1st. And so we'll be updating you on those. And, of course, in the next week, 4th to 7th. More OTAs. We'll be updating you on those as they come in through. The Falcons are our last eye on the enemy scheduled. We did bring through the entire NFC East and who we view to be the strongest threats in the NFC. If you'd like for us to continue with some different teams, however, if you're interested in hearing about the 49ers, interested in hearing about the Packers, other teams you think could be a big deal, then certainly please do hit us up on Twitter, again, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T, and let us know. Uh We're here to give you the content that you want. Excited. This is, we're, we're approaching it, man, like the... Uh, the real dead period. June and July. We're excited. BGN Radio is working on a ton of stuff for you guys just outside of the Kiston Solak Show to really roll it through. So make sure you are visiting. Obviously we've got the uh, the hookup today, Mike. Do you wanna plug it one last time?
1: Yeah, Philly loves beer dot Org, dot org. I almost said com. It's Philly Loves Beer.org. Promo code BGN18 for 10% off admission, man. Come drink some beer with the BGN Radio Crew.
0: But that's about it for us. Again, thank you as always for tuning in. We're excited to join you next time.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.